Welcome once again to Practically Political. I'm Dave Spencer. And I'm Carrie Sheffield. Great to have you. Let's get started. Also, Masada, our special guest. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to another fun, interesting, and vibrant debate. We love having you, Masada. So our first question, uh, I'm just really curious, and Masada would love to get your thoughts. So there's a lot of fretting going right on right now about artificial intelligence. What do you think is the future direction of AI and how should we think about it ethically? Do we need more guardrails to stop machines from killing us? Um, or is it destined to help us leave better lives? And how should DC be thinking about it from a regulatory standpoint? Well, it's a pretty complicated topic because we don't know what the future holds. It's much like social media. When it first started, it was kind of the Wild West. And today, you know, we're seeing the repercussions of social media and we're seeing the posit the positivity as well. So with AI, there's, there's I mean, I don't think it's going to take over the future in terms of writing and and Hollywood, but I do think we have to worry about misinformation. For me, that's a, that's a huge deal um, because it is so easy to start a rumor and believe it. I I, I will tell you that um, during COVID, whatever side of the aisle you're on, I, I was speaking to some woman and she turns to me and she says, "You know, where are you getting your information? Aren't you on any Facebook mom groups?" And frankly, I was horrified because. Yeah, I'm on some Facebook mom groups, but I think I think at some point you have to trust something. You have to trust the media, the government, somebody, because otherwise we're a reckless, crazy society. In terms of Washington, D.C., I think I think that they really need to study this and take it seriously. And what I found in life a lot is the things we worry about the most are not, are not the things that happen. It's the things that we don't worry about. So I think we really need to understand the technology and the science, and we need to know as much information as possible and, and see where it takes us and be careful. Yeah, I would echo a lot of that. I think this always reminds me, even going past social media to the internet itself. You know, we it was unknown territory. And I think all the people I've spoke to who are much more well-versed in this than I tell you anyone who predicts where we're going with AI is lying. Nobody has a clue. It's a, it's a whole new frontier. And again, as is the case with the internet, that brings great benefits, but it also great brings great risk. And what really concerns me is we're already, within the last eight years, we really become in some ways a post-truth post environment where it was always, well, you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. Well, now people feel they're entitled to their own facts, which really makes it hard to govern as it is. And so when I look at some of these so-called deep fakes that people can do with AI, where you have you know, Barack Obama or Joe Biden or Donald Trump or anyone saying things in their own voice with their own mannerisms, and that to me is really, really scary because it's just going to incite even more. But the positive is uh, when you look at how it would allow people to outsource, if, if AI can do some of the basic research that a lot of people still have to do on the internet and can put together outlines for speeches and things, that's going to save a huge amount of time. And again, I don't buy this, oh, tech, it's going to kill tech jobs. The great thing about tech is that when people are free from more mundane tasks, our innovation, which is what we do best, is allowed to run free. And I think in the end, it'll benefit us technologically. As far as regulation goes, 
I think we should take a wait and see attitude. But I do think these predictions about AI, you know, pulling a howl in 2001, the space odyssey and threatening mankind, that is definitely dramatic. What say you, Carrie? I, I hope you're right. I, I hope that that's uh, too dramatic, you know, uh, and my friend Deepak Chopra, he's actually on the advisory board for the Catholic Church on AI issues. And one thing he likes to say is actually he doesn't believe there is AI in the sense that there's always a creator. Someone initially created the code of where the AI started from. So there's nothing artificial about it in that sense. And so he thinks that there's uh, the framing of it should be in that way in that that's how we keep control of it because it's not artificial. It's something that was created by human beings at the end of the day. So I hope, and I know there are groups out there that Elon Musk and others are looking at making sure that AI is not nefarious, that it doesn't get twisted in that way. Um, I do think that, yeah, we see these real life examples. I was just reading about a woman down in Arizona, Masada, where you are. Um, she received a phone call, a frantic phone call, which what I believe was her, she believed was her 15 year old daughter. And it, and then the, these people were demanding ransom and it was an AI deep fake of her daughter's voice. And she, uh, fortunately was able to outwit them and figure out that it was a deep fake, but she was about to pay $50,000 to get her daughter back. And they were going to put her in a white van with a bag over her head. I mean, just terrifying stuff. Um, and so there are, you know, nefarious examples like that. I do think there is a lot of potential, like anything. It's a tool at the end of the day. What do you do with the tool? Do you do wonderful things or do you do evil things? It's a tool at the end of the day. I think there's a lot of potential in the healthcare field, innovations in that space. Um, so I think that uh, the other problem is that from a regulatory DC standpoint, it's like DC is always one step behind the curve on these things. But I know Chuck Schumer is creating a working group on AI. We'll see if they can stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, I, I would agree. I remember even when uh, the senators were questioning Mark Zuckerberg, there was a real <laughs> cluelessness. And, you know, when you have uh, the average age is uh, not, shall we say, similar to the average age of your Silicon Valley employee in the Senate. Is that fair to say that? So I think that there's a little cluelessness. And, and I think there's also a desire to, OK, let's let's just try to be as proactive or preemptive as possible. And, and I, I don't think that's the case here. I think I think we have to wait and see what happens. And um, but overall, I think it is it is a good thing. And I think it shows once again that our best thing we have is innovation. And that's what we need to keep focusing on because if we, if we didn't have that, we'd be in a lot more trouble. So, well, let's move on to my question, uh, which involves, of course, the news of the day. The former president, once again, is dominating the headlines. This time it's been an indictment for 37 felony counts uh, as in, ter in terms of his uh, returning to, refusing to turn over documents that were then seized at Mar-a-Lago. And so I guess my question is really twofold. You're starting to see some cracks, but is this finally going to be the straw that so-called breaks the camel's back? And what is going to be the fallout of uh, Republicans who really are, are more and more defending the indefensible? Carrie? I think I agree with the Wall Street Journal editorial page. Uh, you know, they did point out that Trump... You know, he was his own worst enemy. He really should have 
followed through and returned the documents in a more timely manner. Uh, and in that way, it was a self-sabotage. But that being said, you know, the case itself, uh, you have a former Trump attorney speaking out very strongly with, I think, very valid concerns on issue uh, the issue of uh, attorney-client privilege that seems to be just extremely violated. And then the journal pointed out that the the indictment itself does not even include any mention of the Presidential Records Act, and they're just trying to invoke the Espionage Act. But the thing is, it's not even relevant. The Espionage Act, if you're not, if you're, if you don't take into consideration the Presidential Records Act, then uh, you know it's a it's a, a weaker case, I believe. So I think that there's a lot of uncharted territory in this respect. Because if if it was just Joe Blow's citizen, then hands down he'd be in prison right now. Um, but this isn't. This is a former president um, under the Presidential Records Act um, that had much broader powers. And so I think that those powers were ignored to a large extent. I think Trump, it, yeah, I think the indictment probably understates his powers and Trump and his behavior in his mind was overstating his powers. And I think the truth is usually somewhere in between. That's usually how you know our legal system is operates in shades of gray. So and, and as far as the political mechanics of it, you know, today, as we're taping this, is actually the eight-year anniversary of Trump coming down the golden staircase. He posted about it today. And since he did that, just the level of vitriol, because, and it, it's transparent, like as a conservative, the way Hollywood embraced him, I mean, Hollywood royalty loved him. You know, Barbara Walters had a Trump Tower apartment, Johnny Carson, Michael Jackson. I mean, the whole A-lister, Steven Spielberg had a tap. It was only when he became a Republican that the knives came out. And I think that's part of why a lot of people are circling the wagons. Well, I'm going to I'm going to jump into this uh, conversation as well. I look, my opinion is Americans are still living in a bubble. We you know, if you're a Fox News Channel person, you're watching Fox News. If you're a CNN person, you're watching CNN. Um, I was in Jerusalem about a week and a half ago and outside the Jaffa Gate, I bumped into uh, a Newsmax uh, Jerusalem correspondent or Israel correspondent, Daniel Cohen, and he was great to talk to. And we really spent a few minutes just chatting about the news business and how it works and and his thoughts. And, and, you know, I'm not necessarily a Newsmax person, but I really appreciate the fact that journalists are out there doing their job on every side. So if you really want to get an opinion, um, you need to listen to all the different sides. And in terms of Trump, I think, you know, you've got those people who just will not listen to anything. It doesn't matter what Trump does. They will not listen. They don't care. They're not interested. However, the problem is, the entire country aren't just Trump voters and aren't just Republicans. And I I think this is damaging to him. And I think it is a problem. And I don't think that it's that it's helpful that Americans aren't, you know, I, I just hope in this next election, Americans just start listening to both sides, whether it's Newsmax or Fox News or CNN or CBS and and start making their own opinions. Um, there aren't there aren't facts that you can choose. There are just facts. Things are either facts or not facts. And and I think any indictment against a former president or a president is is a problem. I mean, we want leaders that we can emulate. We want leaders that, you know, give our children hope in the future. We want leaders who are clean in, in many respects. And frankly, and I've said this before, we want leaders who are not interesting, who are dull, who actually go out there and do their job and do politics. Well, this is actually a question for both of you, but I'll let Carrie take a stab at it first. Do you think the 
comparisons, oh, Hillary Clinton did it, Joe Biden did it, Mike Pence did it. Do you think those that's a fair comparison? I think with Joe Biden would be the only fair comparison because Hillary Clinton and Mike Pence have never been president. So they've never had the powers, again, of the Presidential Records Act in that respect, declassified material. Uh, so I think the rules are different for Biden and for Trump. But that being said, the rules should be the same uh, for Biden and Trump. And the fact that Biden was keeping his classified material in his garage with the Corvette um, that doesn't inspire confidence. So, and again, I think that the double standard, that's something that conservatives talk a lot about, that there seems to be one level of justice for thee, but not for me. Well, that's, see, to me, that's my major gripe, is that it's not apples and oranges. And the, and the one thing that people need to keep in mind, and this is where conservatives conflate these issues, the issue with Trump was not that he took the documents the issue was what he did after the government tried to get the documents back. And that's where all the other people involved, whether it's Biden or Hillary or Pence, and, I, and I, this is where I don't think being president is relative, they cooperated. They said, oh, okay, come and check it out. Come and take the documents back. That's not what Trump did. He was like, oh, they're mine, mine, mine. And then you know he's caught on tape saying he didn't declassify it. So that's why I think this is a serious issue. But just for a president to be so cavalier with national secrets, you know, this again just brings up this, this theme of carelessness and this theme of not really thinking what's good in the what's what's good for the natural national interest. And this is why I still have never gotten an answer from a conservative or a Trump supporter when I say name one time when Donald Trump put the country before himself, because there are no times. And this is perhaps the most egregious example of that. Um, Dave, I, I have to agree with you. Um, I don't. I don't think it's the same. I think it's very easy to try to always make comparisons. Um, I do. I don't mean to be flip about this, but I do think the you know work from home thing has been taken too seriously by all these people. You know, maybe we should keep our work in the office if you're a president or vice president because these are national security issues. They do not belong. On, on either side, none, none of this belongs in the open space um, where anyone can get a hold of it. And, and I have to tell you, I believe some leaders are probably probably don't even use email, don't even have documents out there. They just keep it all like in their office. And that's probably the best way to keep a secret. I've always been told that if you need to keep something secret, it's best to keep it to yourself. Um, I, I really do think that we need to take this seriously because there are eyes and ears all over Washington, DC, all over the world. And national security and and bigger issues need to be kept quiet. So, but Dave, again, I agree with you. I I, I think that there's no comparison between Trump and Biden in this story. Jerry, well, I think the uh, just from a technology standpoint, yeah, I, I think even using printouts and to me that's very dinosaur. I very rarely, I don't even own a printer. I have to go downstairs in my condo to use the condo printer. I try to studiously avoid having documents. So if I'm ever working for someone like there, I will uh, advise them to, and then if, when you leave office, just why do you feel the need to carry boxes with you? Um, I think that that's, they become obsolete very quickly also. Like the intelligence is so fresh and so new very quickly that yeah, it's those papers they have are kind of dinosaurs anyway, just from an intelligence standpoint. But the, um, you know, I, I think, again, I think the dispute is 
they have not shown malicious intent on the part of the president when he took the documents or, you know, I agree the recording that does raise questions, but I think overall the, um, the sense that the president had a good faith belief that he had the ability to declassify these documents and it was dispute of that nature. He said that he that he didn't, so I would dispute that. But again, it's this, this that idea. Was one paper, you know, that was one paper. It's my Justice Department, they're my documents, they're my generals. This idea that it's his personal fiefdom, I think, has gotten him in, in trouble over and over again. And you know, the thing I don't understand is, you know, you know, I'd like to poke fun at the dim-witted things that Kevin McCarthy says and does, and I think he may have outdone himself this time when he said. I, I say this with trying to keep a straight face. Well, it wasn't really a problem because Trump put them in the bathroom, which has a door that locks. And of course, I would laugh. I said, do you know anyone who locks their bathroom door from the outside? In fact, some of the people I know who are getting up in age, if the bathroom door were ever locked from the outside, you know, that, that would be a crisis. <laughs> so it's just it's just sad that 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 instead of saying, hey, you know, this is a real mistake. There should be some some culpability here. We get to the point where so many of these people are just contorting themselves into saying ridiculous things to defend the indefensible. Okay, well, I'd like to I'd like to jump in. Um, I'm I'm curious. Uh, what do you both think American leaders can learn by traveling internationally? Earlier this week, I was in Israel, and one of the things I noticed was how green the country is. Now, Israel this year is celebrating its 75th anniversary, and the leaders back in the day had a lot of foresight for the future. And today, there's an organization called Jewish National Fund, JNF, where people from around the globe can purchase trees in Israel. Um, and I can do it as, you know, as a birthday gift, as an anniversary gift. Um and, in, and because of it, Israel has more trees now than it's ever had before, and it's made an impact on the environment. It's made an impact for the positive. I'm wondering, what do you think American leaders can learn by traveling internationally and by broadening their, their views um, of the world? Well, for me, Masada, it's a great question because I'm flying out tomorrow to Peru. So this will be on my mind, and I'm doing some volunteer work with my church and uh, we're working with a pastor who grew up in a cardboard house. His house was made out of cardboard growing up. So the poorest parts of Peru, he works with orphans, he works with school kids. So we're gonna be helping him out and just, I'm gonna be soaking it up and doing what I can to help, but I know that I'm gonna learn so much and I'm going to feel blessed by the people that I meet. What I'm gonna be looking for, it'll be really interesting. Uh, unfortunately, Peru's had a lot of political instability. I think in Latin America and South America, generally, uh, Walter Russell Mead from the Wall Street Journal had a really interesting article uh, recently about how China, Russia and Iran, but particularly China, are exploiting uh, the U.S. being asleep at the wheel when it comes to building relationships with these countries. And it's right in our backyard. And we just you know, heard the news about Cuba with the uh, building a facility with the Chinese to do surveillance on the United States. So I think that one thing I hope that the leaders, you know, go to South America, wake up, uh, realize the existential risk if we if we surrender this to the Chinese Communist Party in our own hemisphere, in our own backyard with Cuba as well. Um, so I think that also one thing that our group has been talking a lot about is uh, as an American in our American group, 
uh, making sure that you listen. And the fact that we're being hosted by a pastor who's from Lima and he's from Peru, that's important to me because I, I don't want to go in there and, and, you know, impose anything on anybody, but it's their own faith. We have a shared faith as Christians. Um, and we're doing it together as, you know, brothers and sisters, not as me trying to force something on anybody. So I think listening and listening with empathy is something that world leaders can and should do uh, when they're traveling abroad. What about you, Dave? Yeah, well, I, I think to your answer about what, what can we learn from foreign countries and what, what may inspire us, I would say a lot. I think Israel is a classic example. Israel gets 90% of its water from desalination. So it shows you when a country is on a piece of desert that's surrounded by hostile natures, neighbors, it's still very possible to flourish. I also believe there's a lot of things that are going on in the world in terms of technology and, frankly, in terms of governance uh, that, that, that we can learn from. And I do believe that we're not being proactive enough on the stage in terms of relations. I'm happy to see that Anthony Blinken is going over to China. I unlike most people, think he thought he should not have canceled the trip after the balloon incident. I thought that's the time when you really want to talk, when there is some kind of crisis. And just Biden should just pick up the phone and talk. Sometimes just talking can, can ease a lot of tension, because whether we like it or not, China is our most important strategic relationship. And we need to manage it. We're going to need their cooperation on a lot of issues. But as I've traveled around the world, you just it's amazing when you see how environmentally and agriculturally and in so many ways, uh, there's a lot that we can learn, but we tend to be so isolated that we don't often feel that anything else but but the, but that the way we do it is the is the best way. Thoughts. Um, China. China is a big concern, um, and I don't think we're watching them as clearly as we should be. I know my dad grew up in Zimbabwe, and I know that China's been in there for years, taking their natural resources. They're all over Africa, and we are we are asleep at the wheel when it comes to China. Um, and and the, and the Chinese are smart. They know what they're doing. I'll give you an example. TikTok. You know, TikTok in China is totally different. It's educational. You can only watch 45 minutes of it. It's for a certain age group. And but the TikTok in the United States, they are happy to let us, you know, get stupid and keep watching and get addicted. Um, so I, I think we really not only should we learn from other countries, but we should be aware of what other countries are doing um, and and make our country stronger for it. I agree. I think that's good. Well, we will leave that uh, as the last word. As always, great conversation, ladies. Uh, and I want to thank all of you for joining us once again on Practically Political. And we look forward to seeing you again next time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.